Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I'm excited about today. Uh, I want to make sure we have a chance to just celebrate, look at, experience what God has been doing. Uh, you know, last year was a, a different year for sure. And, and we just, I don't know, we'll always probably go back and talk about 2020 in some way, uh, but not in a bad way, because I know it was a difficult, challenging year and, and it hit harder on some than others. But it was also a year that God still moved the church forward. Amen. He still changed lives. He still touched lives. And so there's, there's things that happen throughout the course of time, like shutting this down. We shut down for 10 weeks. I don't know if you know that or remember that. seems like forever ago. But we couldn't have in-person gatherings for about 10 weeks. But man, we shifted online. We found a way. Then it took a little longer for us to get our kids' ministry up and running. And they were outside for 21 weeks. And, and, but we always found a way. God finds a way. Amen. You can't keep them in a box. You can't keep them hid. You certainly can't shut them down. All right? So as a church and as a people, we got to be obedient and faithful and and walk it out with God and, and be his hands and feet during difficult times, especially. And so last year was a great opportunity really for the light of Jesus Christ, the gospel through the church to shine. And so your generosity makes that happen. And not just your financial giving, and we're certainly so thankful for that, but also your serving, even in finding ways in the midst of difficult circumstances to still serve, to still be the hands and feet of Jesus, to come back with in-person gatherings and serve in different areas here. So many new people have been coming. So many people have given their heart and life to Jesus during difficult times. And so you make that possible. So what we want to do for the next few minutes is we want to let you know, we want to give you a picture of 2020 and just a few of the things that we were able to do in a difficult time because of a faithful God and faithful people. And so take a look at the screen. Two thousand and twenty, just a number, but a number tied to memories and emotion. While the world may look back and think of pain, sickness, division, and hatred, we look back and see the goodness of God. We look back and see lives impacted and the kingdom of God moving forward. In a time where churches were forced to close their doors and meet online, we saw an increase of over 1,700 followers with over 18,000 unique views and 1.5 million minutes of our online services enjoyed. We were blessed to be able to help other churches in the area record their sermons so they wouldn't go without. When it was time to meet in person again, we thought outside the box in order to impact as many people as possible while keeping safety a high priority. We implemented temperature checks, distance seating, and moved events outside, including tree kids services, family movie night, multiple nights of worship, and our Christmas Eve candlelight service held underneath the stars. We saw over 750 salvations, 164 of those being our kids and youth. 98 people were water baptized, 81 of which were a part of our largest baptism service ever. When the enemy comes to remind you of your past, you say, I left it under the water. When you come up out of that water and resurrection power, I want you to leave sickness and disease behind in that pool. I want you to leave depression behind in that pool. I want you to leave fear behind in that pool. I want you to leave everything that's not of God behind in that pool. And you come out in the newness of life and resurrection power of Jesus Christ because we identify with the power and presence of God through this tonight. 
Instead of saying we can't, we ask the question, how can we safely? The story of impacted lives are worth every bit of effort. Lives like the families with special needs kids who are able to find a sense of normalcy with ministry tailored specifically to them. Like the kids who went home with new bikes for Christmas after their parents were praying for them, but knowing it would be a struggle to provide it. In a time of political and economic unrest, we didn't stay silent on important issues like racial injustice and inequality. Instead, we became a voice of change, championing racial unity and challenging the systemic racism that has plagued our nation for generations. We believe that diversity and unity will bring about revival, and our prayer has been, let revival come. This is revival. We partnered with the New Braunfels Food Bank, Westside Community Center, and the City of New Braunfels to distribute over a million pounds of food to families in need over the course of eight mega food distributions. Hey guys, we just want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your love. Thank you for what you're doing to help us be able to support the food bank and all the food efforts. Right behind me, we are experiencing our eighth mega food distribution here on campus. And that's all because of what you guys do. We've got volunteers out here. We've got people that are sorting food. We got people that are packing food. And this is happening every single month. And it's gonna continue happening throughout 2021 because we're all coming together to be a tree of life to a lost and hurting world. So just wanted to take a moment and let you guys know that what you're doing is impacting the lives of this community. We also provided over 2,300 hot meals to our frontline hospital workers to encourage and to thank them for their service. While doing so much at home, we never lost sight of international missions as we continued to give and to pray. During Three Kings Day in Mexico, we partnered with our sister church, Arbo de Vida, to supply over 600 Christmas gifts to kids in under-resourced communities. Tree served our community across three serve days where over 250 volunteers did everything from building houses, working with the food bank, distributing Christmas gifts, ringing the bell with the Salvation Army Red Kettle campaign, and more. Our tree staff were able to minister at a local mental health facility that focuses on servicing members of our military suffering from PTSD. 15 patients gave their lives to the Lord, 21 rededicated their lives, and countless more were impacted as their minds were set free by the message of hope. All this has been possible due to your generosity. We stand now with the opportunity of a lifetime, and together as a church family, we are stepping into our destiny. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, somebody. How good is God? He's a good God and a faithful God. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all for your generosity. Not just, we're not just talking about finances, we're talking about serving and time and, and that you give to be a part of what God's doing here and through Tree of Life. And then on your own, it just, it's making a difference. Generosity matters. It matters to God. It matters to God's people. Uh, uh, God's life is marked by generosity for God so loved the world that he gave. And 
our church, our lives should be marked by generosity as well. And so I just want to thank you for all. There's so much more. We just have, we don't have enough time in a couple of weeks to show you all the amazing things that uh, you're doing around the world, here and around the world. Um, I just want to let you know that you're I got an update the other day from uh, Pastor Jeff, my brother, Arbol de Vida, our sister church in Leon, Guanajuato, Mexico. Um, if it wasn't for your generosity, we don't know. We might have had to close the doors there. You know, Mexico, every place has been hit differently because of COVID. Um, his church has been shut down for 26 weeks, 26 consecutive weeks. That's, uh, if my math is right, that's half a year. And so they've just been open recently and with a lot of restrictions. And so they can't have kids under 12 in their building. They can't have people over 60. I'm like, well, who's left right in there? <laughs> right. And then you eliminate families and things like that. But you know, there's a faithful group of people serving there. And, and then just recently, since they've been able to open up, they found a way, um, a place, uh, pretty close to where they are, um, outside where they can have kids ministry outside. He was so excited this past Sunday. He called me and said they had 40 kids at their outside service. Come on somebody. And man, they're loving God and loving people. Amazing. You know, even in all the difficulty they're having there, they, he, he told me we, they've had over 560 salvations, over 236 water baptisms. They've given out nine tons of food to families and people. They've helped four pastors that had no income and, and just be able to make it. And they've had to have their, they've had their church shut down and trying to reopen. And they don't have the government assistance like we have. They don't have food distributions like from the food bank. They don't have you know, unemployment. They don't, they don't have stimulus checks. That if, they, if they don't work, they don't make money. They don't eat. And so you've enabled them to be a light, a tree of life in that area. And so thank you so much. Also, uh, our work that we're doing over in India, I talked to uh, one of my friends over there who uh, helps run that ministry. And it's been hard, really hard on them. And out in the uh, rural areas that our missionaries work, that we support there, out away from the technology, away from the healthcare and things of that sort, uh, those villages have been hit really, really hard. And it's hard for them to get around. In fact, they can't necessarily, and some villages and places are closed, but they've still been working and at great risk. And, and there's 14, 14 churches or congregations that have been established and 17 villages have been opened. And, and that's a miracle in and of itself because you can't travel. You can't get on buses or anything. You can't go to places to do that. They won't let you in villages. And so the ministry has still found a way. Amen. You can't shut God out. Man can try and man's tried from the beginning of time, but God makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's looking for faithful people and generous people to get his word out. And so uh, they're still doing a mighty work in the midst of uh, even more difficult circumstances than what they had experienced before because the government's using the opportunity to clamp down even harder on Christianity over there. And so you're making a difference even in the remote places around the world and so many other updates I'd love to share, uh, but we just don't have the time uh, this morning. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I want to take a moment here and look at a passage of scripture as we're talking about generosity because I want to keep it in the right context. You know, a lot of what we saw on the screen and what we talk about and and the things that we've done, 1.1 million pounds of food and, and actually 70,000 meals were given out to under-resourced families, 2,300 to a frontline front hospital, et cetera. All those, those all are related in a sense to a need, but, but responding to a need is not necessarily the point of generosity. And then that is an aspect of it. But there's a deeper meaning there, a deeper motivation. I want us all to make sure that we know because there's times when our times are tough for us or, or we're looking at circumstances and things happening around and we have a different thought then we want to make sure that we still respond with generosity. And, that, and there's a passage of scripture, I believe, that really illustrates for us a deeper meaning in our generosity that I really want to maintain that as our focus. And so let's take a look over, if you will, turn to John 12 for me. This passage of scripture is so rich. I've taught 
something completely different on this passage of scripture, um, another different truth or principle I think that we can find here. Um, but for this morning, I really think there's a powerful principle of generosity that I just want to remind us. And it almost sounds funny because it's like, oh, you're preaching to the choir because can I just say, you're one of the generous, most generous churches on the planet. I mean, I, I got a lot of friends in ministry. We're talking all the time. We're talking about the people in our church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're talking all this. <laughs> oh yeah, let me tell you about somebody in my church. No, I'm just kidding. And so, uh, uh, but you know, we're talking about how everybody's, uh, you know, all the things from last year and how we're doing. And I just got to say, thank you. I just, all I can say is just, I'm so blessed to have such a great church. Thank you, Tree of Life, for, man, what you do and who you are. But again, I want to make sure that we understand really the, the, the deeper meaning in generosity. And so uh, verse 3 says this, John 12, 3, New Living Translation. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. And I want to say right away, we're not only talking generosity, it's like finances, but we're talking about your time, your serving, your prayers took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from uh, essence of nard, or you might know it as spike nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume, almost like this kind of derogatory voice or tone towards Mary, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold in the money given to the poor, which sounds like a noble cause. Not that he cared for the poor, He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. I bet you wanted that sold, right? Jesus replied, leave her alone. I love it. And you can almost hear the tone of Jesus' voice responding because he just kind of, you know, negatively spoke to her and Jesus, to her defense, hey, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. I want to stop right there. We'll get to verse eight in a minute, but she did this in preparation for my burial. I I believe Jesus was speaking to something. Uh, Judas was not incorrect when he pointed out that they could have sold that and used it to to help feed the poor. But Jesus was refocusing, uh, I think, uh, the the real purpose, meaning behind, deeper meaning behind generosity. He said, this was for me. This is for my burial. Now, they didn't necessarily understand that because that was to come. But Jesus was like, hey, listen, acts of generosity honor me. As if he was saying that, and Judas, in response to Judas, he's like, hey, leave her alone. She's honoring me right now. This is for me. She's blessing me in this moment. Jesus says, this act of generosity was for me. It's a gift for me. This moved me. This got my attention. This honored me. She did this for me. And again, Judas was not incorrect, but I think Jesus was refocusing the real motivation for generosity was to honor him. Because if you look at generosity as just meeting a need, there's going to come a day that you don't think you should meet that need. There's going to come a day where you're going to look at a need and say, oh, you know what? I know there's a great need, but you know, I met the last need or I, help, I was a part of helping meet the last need. Let somebody else meet this need. Or, or maybe we'll look at a need and we'll respond and say, you know what? If they would just do this and that, they're just going to have to learn to get out of this and do this on their own. But you know what? Nobody can honor Jesus for you, but you. So you can justify your generosity or at times or whatever, because it's almost subjective to what you're feeling in the moment or how you're looking at the circumstances. But listen, if there's a deeper meaning, which I think Jesus is refocusing us, generosity really is honoring to Jesus. It doesn't have as much to do with the need at hand. But if everybody will take their moments and times and opportunities to honor Jesus, they'll be enough to meet the needs of everyone round about us. And so this church is such a generous church. I want to make sure that all our generosity is not just looking to meet the needs. And, and that's important. We're here to help do that. But really, our first and, for, and, and priority is to honor Jesus with everything we have and everything we are. And out of honoring Jesus, we have then the ability to meet needs and be blessings to people. And again, just as a reminder, somebody else can meet a need but no, for you in your place. 
but nobody can honor Jesus for you but you. And we don't just honor Jesus in times of when there's a need round about us, because then if we're only responding when there's needs, what about the time when everything's going right, there is no seemingly need in you and around you and stuff? Would that be a great time to honor Jesus with generosity? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's honoring Jesus. My first point is my generosity honors Jesus. Honors Jesus. She did this in preparation for my burial. She did this for me. And so I want to make sure that we understand the real deeper meaning of motivation of generosity. The reason why they're all gathered together in that house that's a celebration dinner is to honor Jesus. But they're celebrating Lazarus, Mary, who shared this act of generosity. Her brother Lazarus uh, had passed away uh, not long before this. In fact, that Martha and Mary, who are in the story, uh, are sisters of Lazarus, and Jesus was a friend. And And so Jesus came four days after Lazarus had died and Jesus told him to remove the stone and spoke Lazarus come forth and Lazarus miraculously resurrected because resurrection power of Jesus brought him back to life. This dinner is in honor of that, celebrating the moment that at one point in time they were in deep sorrow and sadness. They were hurt. There was pain. There was suffering, if you will. There was dreams that were gone and, and, and just this sense of despair because of what had happened to Lazarus. And now they find themselves at a place of joy and a celebration. And so Mary, in response to what Jesus had done, responds with an act of generosity. But not only was it in response, per se, to what Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead, but he said, it's for my burial. He goes, soon I'm going to come and I'm going to give my life for everyone to have resurrection life. I'm going to give my life so everyone can come alive again. I'm going to give my life so the things that are dead will have life again and dreams and hopes can come back to life again. He said, you're honoring me and that's great. She's honoring him, not just for what he had done, but for what he would do. And even though she didn't necessarily know all that she would do, she attached her, he attached her generosity to the cross or to eternity. You never know what your generosity will do. We honor Jesus for what he's done, but we also give to honor him for what he will do in resurrecting life in people's lives. There's something greater than just meeting a need. It's honoring Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you, but who he is and what he will do in humanity. It's attached to the cross. Matthew 6, 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart is not of the amplified version. My dad raised me on the King James and my mom raised me on the amplified. So where your treasure is, there your heart your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will also be. A non-amplified translation will say, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. It doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will follow. I think we get that mixed up, and I think it's been preached wrong a lot of times. But where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So your generosity reveals your heart. I think it's important for us to understand that because I hear people all the time, and I don't mean this ugly, and I don't mean this with anybody in mind by any means, but it's truth. It's the Bible. It's a lot of times that people come up to you and say, pray for me, pastor. I just want to love Jesus more. I want to love more Jesus today than I did yesterday. I want to get this year. I want this year to be the year in loving Jesus more. I, I want to make sure that he's my priority. He's the love of my life. And then the first thing we should respond to, and, and the basis on this scripture right here is, then how's your generosity? Because what will happen is the more generous you are honoring Jesus, the more you'll fall in love with him. It's not different than that. Thank you. I'm going to preach to you. Come over here, right here. Could you sit over here next week? I'm going to move around a little bit. I'm just kidding. 
But the Bible's very clear about that. And so listen, you can, you can give without loving in a sense, like you can walk out this building today or you can text someone, I'm out there, you can drop something in the box or, or you can go and you can see somebody on the street corners, you get to an intersection, you can drop a 10 or a five or whatever and not have any love or affection there. You, can, you might feel some pity or sorrow or whatever. You can go and drop some money in the cattle bell, whatever. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And I think it's important for us to understand the real motivation behind generosity. It's important for you and I so we can keep focused on doing what we need to do and honoring Jesus and what he's done and what is to come because Jesus said generous giving is for me. It's for him. My wishes, my heart, my desires, and that on which my life will center follows my giving, the scripture said. And here's what I want to say this, but when you give to your church. You're not giving to your church. You're giving through your church. And let me say it this way. You don't give to your church. You give through your church. You don't give to your church. It's not your business transaction with the church. You don't give to your church. You give through your church. Hebrews 7, 8 says this. And here men that die or mortal men receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth is speaking to Jesus. So he's saying here, mortal men receive tithes, but there Jesus receives your tithes. And so what the Bible says, you don't give to your church, you give through your church to Jesus. But what the word receive means in the Greek literally translates to, he holds it in his hand. So here you give mortal men You give it to mortal men, but there you're giving it to Jesus. And Jesus is so precious to him. It's so honoring to him. It's so sacred to him. He holds it in his hand. He treasures it. You don't think giving's important to Jesus? Oh, he doesn't really care if I do this. Are you kidding? He holds it in his hand when he does because it's precious and sacred and important to him. So that's how important it is to him. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he holds the tithe in his hands. And can I just stop for here one moment? We've already taken up the offering. We're not going to take a special one up at the end. Just, want, just you know, that, that thing of feeling. I just, I want to give you the motivation behind generosity. I want, I want you to totally just open up today. Don't, don't shut me out because this is the, top, the topic we need to see as we just saw the result of it. It's amazing, but let's not lose our focus on what it's really about. So he says, here, I'm helping the church. There, it's supernatural. Here, I believe in the vision. There, it moves the heart of God. Here, men receive tithes. There, he receives them and holds them in his hand. Acts 10, 4 says this. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. So your $10 ornament that you bought at Christmas time that helped give 635 gifts to kids on Three Kings Day in Mexico, that was more than that. God held that in his hand as an offering to him. When you come up on Thursday and work a distribution and you put vegetables in a bag or a box and put it in a car, God receives it. He holds it in his hand as an offering to himself. And so the scripture says, gifts to the poor here are offerings to God there. Helping the poor here is giving to Jesus there. Showing up on a Thursday to distribute food here is giving to the Lord there. Giving my tithe here sending it, is sending it to Jesus there. Here it seems like it's practical. Here it seems like it may not be working. It may not be enough. And you wonder if it's making a difference. But there it's supernatural. There it's spiritual. There he who lives forever grabs your tithe, holds it to himself, and he sees your generosity and it moves his heart. He says that Judas scolds Mary. What are you doing? Could have given this to the poor. 
Judas, Jesus will say, don't try and act like you're going to do something noble with the money. This is an act of generosity to me. It honors me. You know, one day we'll stand before Jesus and that, this is what he'll say to us. And it's not in your notes, Matthew 25, 25, 35 through 40. You can write it down, Matthew 25, 35 through 40, New Living Translation. Here's what it says. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king of kings will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. It came to me as an offering that I held in my hand. I treasured it. It was honoring to me. Oh, yeah, but no, I just, I went out there and I, I put food in a, someone's car. It came to me as an offering that I held dear and close. That's our motivation. You know, there's another side because the scripture goes on to talk about the other side. I just want to, I want to share it because so we know what it says, but I don't believe that's, the, that's what's happening here, but I want to share it instead. It goes on to say, Matthew 25, 42 through 45, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will pray, Lord, when, when did we ever see you hungry? Because we would have taken you down to Myron's. Man, we would, man if we saw that, we, we, you would make sure you never, never ran out of anything to drink, right? That you had all the best stuff. When, when, did, we, when did we see that? Then, then they will reply, Lord, when... When do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. And when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. And that's pretty hard. And I said, that's why I said, it's the second part that I don't believe is the part that we're a part of. I believe we're a part of the first part. But I think it's important to understand it puts things in the right context. There's a greater motivation to our generosity than just meeting the needs of people. And let me tell you, if that's all you're going to do it for, then do it. I think eventually your heart's going to change. But listen, we're doing that everything we can generously to honor God who's so generous to us. It's honoring to him. He treasures it. He tre Jesus said, I take it personally. He says this, if we could go up ahead and pull up verse eight, you'll always have the, <laughs> you did great. You'll always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. What Jesus was saying, he wasn't being insensitive to the poor because he instructs us in the Bible to take care of them. Jesus said that you'll always have the poor. Other words, we're always gonna be working at this. There's always people that are gonna be under-resourced that we need to help. But he says, I want you to understand the greater motivation, however, is generosity honors me, honors Jesus. Number two, my generosity stretches my faith. Hey, we need our faith stretched. We need to grow our faith. Your faith. Well, I can give without my faith being stretched. Well, then obviously you're not giving enough. <laughs> can I tell you, I've gave sometimes like, man, that was a big step of faith right there. And I'm not talking about being irresponsible with your family and putting food on the table. You've got to do all that for sure. But when you honor Jesus and you stretch and build your faith and you can believe for more needs being met, more opportunities, and God will respond in kind because your generosity leads to his generosity. But there comes a time that we've got to stretch our faith a little bit. In fact, some of us, and I'm just going to say this, and I'm, again, thank you for being such a generous church, but we've got to stretch our faith in the area of finances sometimes. We walk by faith, not by sight. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Generosity can be an act of faith, if you will, an expression of. My faith and trust in God. 
And I think it's important for us to understand that we can build our faith, and especially in this area of our life, and we need to build it and grow it. It's interesting to me, John wrote this story years later when he is on the island of Patmos towards the end of his life, and he can so vividly remember this passage and what transpired here. So he's writing it down for you and I to know and learn today and understand. He writes it as if it just happened. So John's like, I can remember that perfume. I don't think I ever saw an act of generosity like that. It was a year's worth of wages and she just broke it open right there. I can still smell it. And the Bible said this fragrance filled him. I can smell, if I close my eyes right now, he's writing this 60 years like, if I close my eyes right now, I can smell that fragrance, fragrance of that nard perfume filling the room. I can still see the look of disgust on Judas's face as he spoke up and with this just really derogatory tone. And he said, we could have sold that and fed the poor with it. What were you thinking? I can still hear the tone in his voice. You should have sold it. I can still hear the sternness in my master's voice when he said to Judas, leave her alone. It was costly. It was expensive. It was a powerful moment. I promise you that it gets when you give, if it gets your attention, it gets God's attention. When you give, if it moves you, it moves him. When's the last time that you gave and it moved you? When's the last time that your giving got your attention? Because it gets God's attention, it moves him. Why? Because it stretches your faith. Giving generosity always stretches our faith because, you know, even if it's $10 or $10,000 or $10 million or whatever it is, no matter what it is, the enemy comes and immediately tells you what you could have done with that. $10, I could have gone and you know, got me two coffees for that or whatever that is, or maybe one today. I don't know what, the, you know what I think costs, right? It always will speak to you about what you could have done with that. The enemy would say you're losing, but listen, we're not losing, we're sowing. No farmer has ever thrown seed in the ground and thought, I've just lost it. I will never see that again. Now what am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? I am going to starve. No, it's going to require some patience. It's going to require some faith. But he knows what he's doing. Take a look at Mark 4, 26 through 29. It says this, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Not in day while he's sleeping or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. First, the leaf blade pushes through. Then the head of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. For the harvest, has, harvest time has come. You don't lose it. You sow it. You don't lose it. You sow it. The moment it is sown, it has life. It has life has life. Stretches your faith. You can't see it working, but it's going to come back. Harvest will come back. You might have to be patient, but a harvest is coming back. See the, and, and it's important for us to know that. It's important for us to know that. The moment she gives, here's what happens. The moment she gives, two voices speak to her. Every time you give, two voices speak to you. One is the voice of the enemy. The other is the voice of the Lord, the first voice of the enemy. Why this waste? What were you thinking? What have you done? And he tries to delegitimize her offering. The, the moment she, she does it, he goes, that's waste. That's wrong. That was a mistake. Have you ever felt that after you've given? Is that just me? Or maybe you wake up the next morning. What were you thinking? You shouldn't have done that. The voice of the enemy. 
Voice of the enemy will try and shame you for your generosity. He tried to shame her for her generosity. He tried to make her feel stupid for her giving. I felt that way before forgiving. The first voice calls it a waste. But there's another voice. There's a more powerful voice. And that's the voice that have said, let there be light and light was. That's the voice that started creation by speaking. That's the voice that created the heavens and the earth. That's the voice that said, Lazarus, come forth out of that tomb and live again. That's the voice that says, rise, take up thy bed and walk to the lame man. That's the voice that said to the demon-possessed boy, speaking to the father about his son, come out in Jesus' name. That's the voice that spoke to the wind and waves and the storms of life and said, peace, be still. And it became calm. There's a voice that cried out from the cross that said, it is finished. There's another voice, the voice of God. Almighty that says, leave them alone. And when you give and the voice of the enemy's ringing in your ear and he's whispering to you, that was stupid. That was a big mistake trying to shame yourself. Then you don't listen to that voice. You shut it out and you listen to the voice of God that says, I am for you. I got you in this. This honors me. This blesses me. And then you say to the other voice, did you hear that? He said, leave me alone. Judas, leave her alone. You're calling it waste. I'm calling it worship. You call it foolish. I call it generous. You say it's gone. I say it's seed. It wasn't just faith for the moment. Jesus said it was for his burial. Not only does it require faith now, but it's creating a harvest for my future. Here's what we need to know. You, you, you never lose it. It just goes from your present to your future. It just, when you give, it's just, it's not lost. It's not gone. It just repositions itself in your future. But here's what the Bible says. And it increases. So it's not ever gone from you. Oh, it's not present in the moment, but it's repositioned into your future with a greater harvest. It's still there. It's just down the road a little bit growing and growing. The Bible says, so it turns into a harvest for you. You don't lose it. You're never without when you give to God. And when you honor Jesus with your generosity, it just repositions itself for a greater harvest for a different day for you. I love that. I love that picture. Judas, you're thinking about right now. I'm thinking about the cross. This is for my burial. Judas, you're thinking about right now. And I'm thinking about souls that will be saved and touched. My giving, my generosity doesn't stay here. It goes into my future. Her giving, her generosity was significant because her generosity was connected to the cross. Do you know that when you give to honor Jesus, your generosity is connected to the cross? It's connected to eternity. I mean, not just the good old here and now, and it's great that it meets needs of people in the moment, but it's connecting you. It's connecting your giving, your generosity to the cross connected, not just in the moment, but the moments to come. My gift speaks to God. And when I give my God speaks for me, my gift speaks to God. He holds it in his hand. And then my God speaks for me. And he says, leave him alone. I rebuke the devour for your sake. My generosity. Number three, last point, my generosity gives my money a mission. Gives my money a mission. Let it work for you. I let it work for the kingdom. And I'm all for savings and retirement. I'm all for you want to pass things down. The biblical principle, pass it down generation to generation. But let it work for the kingdom too. Amen. Give it a mission. Give it to the things of God and let it be at work. My generosity gives my money a mission. John 12, 7 again. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation 
for my burial. Her generosity now took on a mission. It turned her money into a seed. It will turn your money or your gift into a seed. Generosity connects it to something greater. Generosity connects it to something eternal. The mission's beyond me and mine and what I can get. The mission becomes God's eternal kingdom. If you think about it, all the things that we talked about with the video and everything today already, all the souls that were saved because of generosity. What was it? We gave our money a mission, our generosity a mission, our serving a mission, our prayers a mission. We released it all into the kingdom, into eternity. We connected it to the cross and honoring Jesus and the work that he did, and it resulted in souls. It resulted in redemption. It resulted in forgiveness. It resulted in rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness and translating the kingdom of his dear son. Give it a mission. There's no greater investment than in the kingdom. And souls, no greater investment. Ephesians 4, 28. This is going to sound a little hard as I read it first, but give me a moment to explain it. It says here in New Living Translation, Ephesians, this is the Apostle Paul writing his, uh, uh, his uh, son in faith, Timothy, writing the church at Ephesus. They're having a lot of problems at Ephesus. People are taking advantage of things and all kinds of stuff going on. So Paul addresses it and he says, he's telling us, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. What what he's doing, he's like, don't try and get this gain for yourself. Give, have a plan. Have have a plan for it. Have a vision greater than yourself. And he's always saying, here's the secret to it. He give your money, give your generosity a purpose. Give it a purpose. He's like, he's not trying to correct their behavior. He's trying to focus them on a greater purpose. Instead, do something good. Be generous to those in need. It's not a corrective behavior type statement, I don't believe. I believe he's given them a greater purpose for their money, a greater purpose to work hard, a greater purpose to be generous instead of trying to get it, trying to get it for themselves. Because that's what they were doing in that day. So you got to give your money a mission. Call into the ministry. Put it at work in the kingdom of God. Then teach them. He's saying, teach them they can be generous. Teach them they can be a part of the solution. Teach them that, yeah, you're struggling now, but one day you'll be helping somebody else who's struggling. And here's what I say to that. Because you can't take it with you. We know that. Billy Graham said this. I've never seen a Hertz driving through a cemetery hauling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. Put it at work. Put it at work. Let it reposition itself. I don't listen per se. I know who he is, but I'm not even familiar with the song, but I heard this that um, Drake, singer Drake, he um, has a song where he's talking about money. He says, put it in my grave, put it in my grave, put it in my grave. The lyrics to this song. And I'm thinking, oh, there's so much something bigger. You're missing it. Something bigger. You can't take it with you. Put it to work for you. Put it in the ministry, right? If you're right, let it be on mission for you. Modern day prophet Drake, put it in the grave, put it in the grave. There's a prophet a little older than him called Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 32, 80 says, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. It's like, I'm not taking it with me. I'm planning to do something else with it. I'm going to plan to put it to work and I'm going to stand firm. No matter how things are, I'm going to plan for that to be working, that be working for the kingdom, that be connected to eternity, that be connected to the cross. I'm planning for it to honor Jesus. I'm planning to stretch my faith a little bit. I'm not taking it with me. I'm not holding it on to myself. And I just want to say, Drake, if you're watching, I love you. 
And you can text to Tree of Life Church. You can go on the website. You can put your money to work for the kingdom. Just call me. <laughs> Just so you know, he hasn't called me yet from first service, but I'm hoping. <laughs> but it's a work. I'm planning. How can I give my money a mission? How can I, how can I help? How, how can I honor Jesus? How, how can I turn my prosperity into purpose? How can I turn my money into seed? The, the generous plan. Generous plan. And Matthew 5, 48. And I need to get, get to the end of this. In a word. And this is the message paraphrase. In a word. What I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. We're not just here wasting time. We're growing in the things of God. We're maturing to be more like him. So we're kingdom subjects. We're not people of the world. We, we, we belong to a different economy. We, we belong to a different purpose. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. We don't identify we're in the world, but not of the world. We don't identify with the world. We identify with the kingdom of God, a God-created identity. Live generously then and graciously. That's what your God-created identity is. You are now a generous and gracious person towards others the way God lives towards you. Thank goodness he's generous and gracious to us. But to be kingdom people, we need to be generous and gracious to other people. That's our new identity. Generous and gracious to other people. We're so thankful we ask God for his generosity. We ask him for his grace. And he's asking us to be that to humanity because we have received that from him. It's the kingdom way to live. John 12, 3. Guys, we can go back to verse 3. I know I didn't put that in the notes. I'm struck by this passage of scripture for so many reasons. But when I tie the, the event of the moment where Mary broke the expensive perfume. It was nard, and I've done some research, and nard is a powerful fragrance. It's a powerful fragrance. I mean, just a little bit of it's really strong, and they used it for numerous things, and they would use it as, as he said, this is for my burial. They would use it combined with like myrrh and lavender. They would use it for a burial. It didn't take much, and it helped mask the odor. Interesting. What's interesting to me, or why I find that interesting, is because days earlier, not many days earlier, they were gathered together. All the people in that room were celebrating, honoring Jesus for the resurrection of Lazarus and celebrating Lazarus's life. All those people that were there for the dinner party, the celebration, were all gathered together days earlier, weeks earlier, around another situation, another room. It was actually around a tomb. It was around a tomb where Lazarus had died, and when Jesus showed up on the scene, it had been four days. And so when Jesus said, move the stone away, Martha, Lazarus' sister, said, no, because it has a foul odor. It smells terrible. It smells horrible in there. You don't want to smell that. And all that will do is when you smell that, you'll want to get that smell, that stench out of your nostrils. You'll remember it because it's now associated with death. It was a smell of death. It was a smell of heartbreak. It was a smell of broken dreams. It was a smell of disappointment. But now in this moment, Mary breaks open a jar of nard and it says the fragrance filled the room. Whereas they were gathered together and what filled the room was death and disappointment and broken dreams and heartache. And now what was filling the room was a, was a smell that brought hope. It was a smell of celebration. It was a smell of restoration. 
It was a smell of life and dreams living again and new opportunities and new possibilities. And just maybe your acts of generosity will change the fragrance in your nose, will change the way you see or smell something. You may have been living a life and experiencing death and disappointment and heartbreak, but I'm telling you, one act of generosity can replace that smell with a smell of life and hope again and new opportunities in Jesus. We know how powerful smell is. I can remember smells. I smell smell and think about my grandma on her house. I, I remember growing up as a kid when the church started, mom and dad were, every Sunday after church, we'd go home and mom would have a roast in the oven. Can I tell you, if you make a candle with that smell, sell it to me. I'll buy 10 of them right now. It's just something about a smell that brings you back to a place. And maybe our acts of generosity, whether it's something financial or whether it's something of time, whether it was this act, maybe that act of generosity will change the smell of memories in your life. Maybe the things that we want and long for to move forward because we seem like caught up in all this, maybe it's just waiting on for you to have one act of generosity. And so then the fragrance of God fills your nostrils. And so now you replace the thought with the thought. Just maybe. I love the idea of that. You don't have to keep living how you're living. You don't have to keep experiencing what you're experiencing. And you do something that honors God. And every time you get a chance, whether there's a need or not, you just honor him. Nobody can honor him for you. You just honor him. And when you honor him, he takes that and holds that to his, holds that to his chest as precious and dear, holds it in his hand and it honors him. And he said, this is for me. And then he comes in and he fills your life with a sweet fragrance where you have felt it has smelled dead and dying. And now all of a sudden, because he's holding your generosity in his hands and he is feeling honored and he is releasing a fragrance in your life to bring you hope again, bring you life again. And that is the purpose of generosity. And I I want to thank you for being such a generous church. Can I say this and take it however you want to take it? It smells good here. I know we can't get very close to each other, right? It's because you guys stay six feet away. It smells good doing what we do. It smells good. I hope when people come into this place, and I know this is cheesy or whatever right now, I'll bet it just smells good in here. And it just feels good in here. You hear it all the time. Maybe that could be the, it just felt good in here. It felt like life in here. I felt, I felt different when I came in here. It smelled good to me. It just brought life to me. It brought hope to me again because this is a generous church. You know, when you see that video, you know, when you see all those people that are, you meet the needs of it, you brought a sweet fragrance into their life because of your generosity. And that is why we do what we do. So let's not forget or overlook the motivation for our generosity is honoring Jesus, stretching, stretching our faith, and whatever the third one was. I can't remember right now. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Every head bad, every eye closed, my heart, my hope today was to celebrate, to look from a, 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 a place of, man, thank you, God. Not, not from a place of pride. Like we did it to elevate us or look at tree life or look what we've done or anything like that. But, but to be to a place of look the opportunity, Lord, that you've provided through generosity. Thank you, Father God, for allowing us to be your hands and your feet. Thank you for allowing us to be a tree of life. And thank you, Father God, that you've modeled your, your life is marked by generosity. And therefore, Father God, thank you that our lives can be marked by generosity as well. Thank you for giving us such great people here, Father God, that understand the real motivation. It's not just to meet a need, Father God, but it's to honor you. 
And Lord, in doing that, Father God, we never go without. We don't lose, Father God. We're sowing seed, and it just repositions. It, it, it leaves our present, but it repositions into our future and multiplies. It honors you, Father God, and you hold it so dearly to your chest because it's honoring. It's for me, Father God, that we don't give to our church. We give through our church, but we give it to you, Father God. And Lord, in doing that, you release this, this aroma, Father God, of the sweet smell, Father God, of, of just peace. In fact, in fact, while I'm praying this prayer, I'm reminded that, it, that Nard, one of the uses of Nard, it brought calming and peace. It helped combat anxiety and fear. And I thank you, Father God, that in the moments, Father God, of generosity, Lord, I just pray that we don't find fear or anxiety when we give. If we do, we're, we've missed the motivation behind it. But Father God, we find peace and calm. We thank you, Father God, that it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. In fact, you're the one generosity marks the most. You're, you're the most generous because your word says that you so love the world that you gave. You gave your son that whosoever, anybody, anytime, no matter what, can call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And so, Father, in this moment, this gathering, people online, people here in this place, that is the greatest act of generosity was for us, for humanity, so that we could be rescued, so that we could be in eternity with you, Father. We're here on the earth, old things are passed away. All things become new. We are now part of your family. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.